This is The Wow Show, and I'm your host, China Myers. Ted Sutton, a.k.a. Crazy Ted, is a native of Baltimore, Maryland. During his time in the streets, he was affiliated with the character in the HBO TV drama The Wire, based on the perils of Baltimore city life. The story was featured on BET and was a documentary series called American Gangster. After a personal encounter with God, Ted's life changed far beyond his imagination, but not past what God had planned for him. Now he is the CEO and founder of Sutton House Inc. and Men Against Murder Inc. This empowering organization focuses on youth and community development. Ted has a master's degree in criminology specializing in juvenile delinquency prevention. He also has a doctorate degree in humanities. He is an international speaker and does training at community events, schools, and churches. Mr. Sutton believes that when we are ready, God's will will be done in all of our lives. Hello, everyone. We are here today with Ted Sutton. Man, when I read his bio, I was like, what? (laughs) I mean, you just have had an incredible journey. God has really, really blessed your life. Our questions today are kind of asking why and how you got to the place that you are today. So welcome, Ted. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm so blessed. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. And we have Deborah. How are you doing today, Deborah? I'm doing really well, China. Thank you so much for allowing me to share this time with you and to interview Mr. Sutton. Yeah, thanks, Deborah Lassiter. We're so glad to have you. I appreciate you coming and joining me in this show today because this is a special show. Let's just get right into it. You wanted to tell the audience about your eye. You have something going on with your eye? Yeah, I was really just saying, you know, because sometimes people see with shades on sometimes and he's like, oh, wow, he's just trying to be cool. To be honest with you, you know, when I may do a show or I'm on television, sometimes I may wear my shades because I just don't want to start like squinting because I, I, I had a physical altercation when I was in the streets back in the day and my cornea was scratched. You know, and actually somebody swung at me and they missed me. I moved back, but their arm, you know, kind of brushed up against my eye. I had my eye open at the time. And oh, and it's 
Yeah, so that that particular, you know, when when it's like a lot of light, it can get a little, you know, sensitive. So I I don't want to be squinting and all of that and things. So I just share that, you know, sometimes because uh, when I when I was in the streets, you could say I was in a with a pretty rough group. Wow. Okay. That's basically my first question. Tell us who is Ted Sutton. Tell us about yourself. Real short. I think I came from a very strong family. My grandfather was one of the deacons for defense that fought against the Klan in Louisiana. My father was an organizer for Dr. King at Southern and Grambling University. He also became a, a pastor in Church of God in Christ. My mother worked for Mega Evans the same summer he was assassinated. And then she became in the school system and, and she became a principal. And, and my uncle was actually a Black Panther with Bunchy Carter in California. So I had some strong roots. But I would say my family was focusing on saving it seemed like the world, and I was that middle child that ended up getting caught, that fell through the cracks. With that being said, you know, I didn't know who I was and whose I was. So I ended up actually kind of gravitating to a rougher group that pretty much, you know, they just in, they ended up embracing me. And so, you know, and, but when I ended up changing my life, I saw that because of what I had went through and I had actually survived, I was able to really have a strong message that there's life beyond mistakes. Mm. Well, see, there there you go. We never know what God's plan is for us, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, nobody yeah. would have probably ever thought that you would have ended up on that end of the spectrum of your life with all the background and, and history of, of the family that you had. So we can't plan on things, can we? No, no, not at all. Not at all. One thought, just to piggyback on what you're both saying, and Ted, just what an amazing beginning to the testimony. And just like what China just said, how strange for someone to hear. You come from a background of the civil rights, this beautiful rootedness, spiritual growth, all these sort of things. Talk to us, and at least even to people that are listening. You know, when I think about the Bible and I think about the Levitical priesthood, and people think because you come from such lineage that somehow you there's no inner work to be done, right? Yeah. That somehow you're going to piggyback on what came before you, but without that inner work, without the Lord strengthening the inner man, the gift on you will destroy you if what is in you cannot sustain you. Right. Amen. <laughs> that's about that. right. That's good. I yeah. That's, I love that. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't say that. Christine Kane said that, but it all, it's always stuck with me. But <laughs> talk with us about that. Yeah. Well, one thing I, I will say is that I think that what I really learned out of that entire journey was I think that as Christians and as believers, we really need to empower our children on why we believe. Because I kind of came from that old school, you going to church because I said so. And there was no dialogue about it and different things. So I really didn't understand the significance of what it was to stand out and say, I'm a believer or I'm a Christian or I believe in God. I just knew that, you know, that was their thing. We got to do it. And it was what it was. And by them moving from the South, because my mother was from Mississippi and my father was from Louisiana. And when they moved to Philadelphia, 
and then they moved to Baltimore and that's when I was born and when when that uh, pretty much you know kind of happened it ended up being a situation where I when when you have good parents who send you off to school what they don't sometimes realize is that I realized that adults couldn't protect me and so they were doing everything good and but you didn't you're not protected on the way to school on the way home from school and not even in school and so at some point by me spending more hours with my friends that I ended up kind of connecting with it ended up and I'm, let's say I'm spending like close to eight or nine hours a day with them and then I'm spending maybe three hours with my parents on the, when they come home from work. It, it seemed like it was more significant to appease my peers than my parents. Right. And so basically you got your own understanding of, of what religion was like. I knew cause for myself, I grew up, you know, believing in God and going to church. But then I got my own understanding. Okay, it, I believe in God, but why can't I curse or, you know what I mean? So, right. so you basically, you believed in God, you grew up that way. And then you got your own understanding is what you're saying. Yes. Yes. I definitely say that. So you grew up in Baltimore. What was that like? Oh, I mean, to be real honest with you, you know, growing up in Baltimore and I had the opportunity to grow up in different parts of the city. Now, most of it was West side, which is also a, a rough side of Baltimore, but I, you know, had a chance to grow up in different parts of the city. But the Park Heights area is where, you know, I pretty much was. And that that is a very rough area. And that's actually where my father's church was in that area. What I realized is that, see, I didn't have any other family members really in Baltimore. So all I had was an older brother and a younger brother. And it yeah. seemed like when you would fight somebody in Baltimore, the whole family would come out. And, you know, you, you so we were a little bit outnumbered, you know, per se. And so I had to adjust to the situation to let people know that I wasn't going to be the victim, you know. And you weren't alone, right? Because you had friends. Yeah, well, well, that's how I ended up, you know, kind of getting friends. That's why I tell young people to choose your friends. Don't let your friends choose you because mm -hmm. I was actually chosen by that group. Mm. Influence is huge. Oh, I think a lot of people don't recognize that. You know, I've often said for myself, when I get into a position where I know that I need advice, obviously we're praying and you're going to the Lord. But if you've already surrounded yourself with the people that are not going to advise you properly, they don't have discernment, they don't have wisdom, they don't have knowledge or understanding, but you're already in a weakened state. You can't use that time to decipher whether you could trust them or not. So yeah. like you're saying, that's such an important principle, I think, to teach youth. You know, it's not about we hang together because we buy the same sneakers. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree totally. And uh, you could say the same for mates. You know, you want to you want to pick a mate that's on your caliber and could help you grow and, and be a better person. And you want to do that with friends, too. My mother used to say, try to pick friends that are better than you. And, and I never understood what that meant. But then as I, I got older and became more spiritually mature, I realized what that meant. You know, you want to hang around people that are doing better with their lives and spiritually and they're on a different walk, but a better walk. And yeah, I, I agree with you totally. So, so we have to train our children also. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think we need to do more of that. Because people work and they get home late and they're like, oh, I just want to watch TV. But you got 
a 14 year old, you know, sitting in there hanging or talking to people who might be influencing them in a bad way. You know, my daughter said to me, uh, why, why is it sometime I, I feel sad or, or I don't feel so good? And I hang around my friends, then I feel better. I said, well, first of all, you shouldn't look for your friends to make you feel better. Mm. You know? Second of all, it's okay to feel bad sometime. Yeah. You know, if you're feeling bad five months later, it might be a problem, you know? Right, right. <laughs> so, well, you, you know, know, it's interesting. Uh, sometimes people can't get off the roller coaster ride because their friendships, it's all about codependency. It's all about you're broke, I'm broke, let's be broke together. You're not, you don't have a job, I don't have a job. They're perpetuating the same type of mentality. In the Bible, it says, renew your mind, right? Only the Lord, only Holy Spirit can help you to regenerate. So it sounds like, Ted, that's a lot of what your ministry, but I guess before that, why were you called Crazy Ted? Or, or yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, it's funny. I, t I try to tell youth to watch the names that the streets give you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. They feel the need to live up to those names. Mm -hmm. Really, in middle school, I was, you know, my, see, my parents had this philosophy like, you know, look, we from the South. Don't mess with nobody and nobody's going to mess with you. And in and, and Baltimore, that didn't work. That's 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 not even true, right? It's, it's funny because I teach on something that, that I say is uh, people are using an A-track solution for an iPod problem. Wow. I mean, young people don't even know what an I what an A-track is. You yeah. know, they had the big box and you stuck it in and in the car and you can only change one direction and mm -hmm. you know really something and so but that's the type of solution i think that they're really using for 2023 youth and so for me you know in the situation you know i was i went to this school and i saw people getting stuffed in lockers i saw people getting bullied and i was like man i'm not feeling that you and need a solution I, right i had a guy i had a group of guys that came past my tray and past my table in lunch and they actually, they used to sell these cookies like Buttercrunch and they were like three cookies at one time in a pack. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, you know, they was about seven or eight deep, but one guy just like grabbed my uh, cookies like right off my tray and just started bopping off. And he was, you know, and, and I stood up and I was like, oh no, I'm not doing this all year. And I went up, snatched it and, you know, and I was like, look, check this out. You're going to have to beat me. You're going to you're gonna kill me for these cookies. I mean, actually, that's what I told him. Yeah. So looking like this guy is crazy. And they said either he's crazy or he don't know who we are. And didn't know who they were. And they they were definitely connected in the streets. This is actually in middle school. They were stealing cars and stuff and taking them to chop shops in middle school. And riding dirt bikes and everything. It was a whole nother life. I couldn't even play rap music in my house. You know what I'm saying? Because my parents was playing the Mighty Clouds of Joy or the Clarkson's or something. Yeah. So for me, it was a little bit different. So when I did that, you know, instead of them trying to beat me down, they was like, yo, I like this dude because he goes hard. He goes yeah. crazy. And they He's gave not taking it. He said. He's not taking this mess. <laughs> no, not I saw people getting stuffed in lockers. They ain't look too comfortable. For I said, <laughs> right. I'm gonna do the stuffing, but I'm not getting stuff. 
Right. Yeah. Now, Ted, you have an enormous testimony. It's like there's there's so many gorgeous pieces within your testimony. And I, I, I can't go past this moment because there's some of those things, I think, some of the turbulence, some of the pain is actually needed. God has to send one through a season of maturation. When I think about Joseph in the Bible, you know, yes, he was chosen, but there was some immaturity about him that he yeah. just didn't get the social cues, right? He's sitting there. He knows his brothers are jealous. He knows his father favors him. And yet he's running to them saying, look at my dream. Look at my coat. Look at this. Look at that. And I'm not saying I'm not ab advocating bullying. I'm not advocating that. But that season of maturation that the Lord must take you through to get you from A to B so that what he has prepared for someone, he's also prepared. Yeah, so talk talk to us because the youth needs to sort of hear there's certain things that you do have to grow in. Yeah. What do yeah. you think about You're that? You're not going to be perfect right off the bat is what she right. said. Yeah, I mean, well, you know what is so funny because I, I have an older brother and he's doing work with T.D. Jakes, Magic Johnson. He's, he's, he's definitely good with finances. He's wrote, written, written a book, you know, on finances and different things. But my brother, who I called the golden child, and I had a younger brother that he was the baby, so he could do no wrong. So I was always under that microscope, like, why can't you be like your brother? He's an usher in the church. He, he sings on the choir. And, and, and so it was always a comparison. So I, it was, I had to end up finding who I was as an individual. And, and so that's why I say sometimes bet on the long shot because it pays off bigger. And so my, my brother can never go the places that I go. Mm. My brother can cannot go in the trap house. He cannot work with the gang members. He cannot. You didn't think you was good enough, but God knew you were, right? Yeah, he's a, he's a minister. You know what I'm saying? He he actually, you know, pastors and he does some great things, but it, he cannot do what I do. And I think that our journeys had to be different. And when you talk about Joseph, but see, sometimes you have to even use your haters as your elevators. Because Joseph yeah. had, had to have somebody that hated him enough to put him in a hole. He yeah. had to have somebody that was greedy enough to want to sell him. He yeah. had to have somebody that was actually, you know, arrogant enough to try to lie on him. He had to have somebody. See, everything had to get him to the jail to get yeah. to a person at the ear of the king. So so if, if he had not had those haters. Yeah was no way that he would have been able to save the land because he wouldn't have been able to decipher this, the king's dream that ended up saving life in that area. And so sometimes your, your journey is what you have to be. In fact, I, I, I make a statement. I said, I never want to be the person that's arguing to, to stay on a plane that I'm supposed to get off of. Right. I don't want to argue to stay on the plane. If, yeah. if, if somebody's saying you have to move, I'm like, you know what, I'm six four, you know, a size 13 shoe. I was like, you know, it's no way that somebody's going to make me. But sometimes it's not about making. Sometimes you have to know and have the discernment that, you know, when God is doing something, stop trying to fight to hold on something that he's been trying to get out of your life. Like Listen. people in relationships, like people on certain jobs. I mean, with friendships, certain things. God has been saying, that's why it's so toxic, because I'm trying to get you, remove you from this toxic situation. Mm. Amen. Amen. And then you could do the job that he wants you to do after right. you learned what you need to do. 
because mm -hmm. that's the thing too in life you know there's no manual so we just kind of go through the motions do what we think is best but god is leading us the whole way i i truly believe that and and look at the man that you are today it's living proof that god had a purpose for you and he put you on a certain road to get there so yeah that that's incredible i, I loved your answer i really did how did you become affiliated with the hit tv show the wire and what was the other one i forget well actually uh the the wire and there was another uh show that was called american gangster that was from, okay. in baltimore it was about my godfather a man named little melvin williams who, who was on and he was the primary person that they wrote the wire behind so he would have been the head person and the guys that I was with actually ended up just being a younger version of they were they were the youth that was in involved in that whole situation. He ended up actually <laughs> what's crazy is, is, you know, I was already just like I said, being known as Crazy Ted. <laughs> and I was also known. So I wasn't a drug dealer. You could say I was into collections. So I helped persuade people to pay the bills and that they were supposed to pay. And I could do it with what you would consider extreme prejudice. And so my whole thing is, is that when was in a situation where I had actually been crazy Ted and I was outside of a club that my godfather owned, but I didn't know my godfather. See, everybody would hear about his name, but everybody didn't know what he looked like. You always knew of the legend of little melvin you know in baltimore because actually if if you were to do his my gangster so-called genealogy because i told you about you know what my civil rights side but if i was to do the street side my godfather was a man named little melvin williams his godfather was a man named julius the lord salisbury who ran the jewish mob and then his godfather was a man named maya lansky who was lucky luciano and al capone and partner and so I had a chance to be around some made men. But when I ended up meeting little Melvin and he was pretty much I had done something, uh, you know, where I had pretty much gotten physical with with somebody across the street from his club. And it, and it didn't look good. And, and he had them to bring me in the club, his guys. And he brought me upstairs and in this room and he ended up you know saying like young man you know you can't do that around here he said that's bad for business and he he asked me he said do you know who i am and i really didn't know who he was and he said well you have you ever heard of little melvin i said oh yeah everybody know little melvin he said well that's me he said i own this club he said you can't do that around here how old were you i was a, a teen i was very young i was around 15 16 years old because just like i said i i'd owned my first car at 15 my first house at 19 and i ended up having to leave home because my father was like well in my house we got to serve the lord and and i was like well then maybe i don't need to be in your house and you know and things were very you know rough during that time because i didn't want to leave home but i felt forced my father took his stand so but with that particular situation I will never forget what he said. He said, you know what? And I see all these guys, they got all black on. They got these big, thick necklaces on. They they got money counters and everything. And what he said to me, he said, okay, if, if you could have anything in this room, he said, what would you want? And I'm, I'm thinking that he's probably saying that I want one of those cell phones, the big kind. It was the big kind of cell phone too. And or, or some money. And I, I said, wisdom. And he was like, what? 
And I said, yeah, I said, anybody can give me something in this room. And I said, but I want to know how you got it. And from that point on, he was like, I, I like this young man. He ended up getting locked up shortly after that. And we had contact. But then when he came home, you know, again, then we just really, you know, went strong and, and different things of that nature. So that was that was an amazing time. So he was he was somebody that was very he had a lot of wisdom. He was a pool a shark, a card shark with with craps, you know, and everything. I mean, I and, and but he had a lot of wisdom, you know. That was I just amazing. And it sounds so, you know, beautiful listening to sort of these these greats in your life. You know, in the Bible, we know we know brokenness must come, right? That the Lord wants a heart that is broken and contrived. What broke you? What what let you know that God is God and that, you know, the, the Bible promises us Jesus will come to wherever you're at, but the promise is he won't leave you where you stand. For you, if you're able to share, what in the secret place was like, I know I can't do this. I know, not grandmom, not uncle, not mom, not friends, but Lord, as I stand here today, I know that Jesus is my savior. I know that I have to confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, because if I could do it on my own, I would have, right? But we, we come to that that rubber in the road. So what broke you? Yeah. Well, Good you know question. what, it's, it's ironic you, you say that because I had one year that so many things happened. I, I really say that I almost lost my mind because I had already left home because my father was not having it. And I respect it, to be honest with you, because he didn't want me to, just like if I wanted to have female company over, we had to sit on that long couch right there in the living room with everybody. You was not going to no bedrooms. You was not closing no doors. You couldn't be in the basement and close the door. So I, I understand that. And, you know, I, I wasn't feeling, to be honest with you, I'm glad they did that because my intentions wasn't the best at that age. But I ended up actually having one year that so many things happened, I almost lost my mind. See, first, my, they had already given my godfather uh, 35 years. My best friend was gunned down and I had to hold his brains in while the paramedics came. Two of my guys in my crew both received life plus 20 at the age of 19, I have one one of them, he's actually still serving Life Plus 20 in a Texas, in a, a, a prison underneath the ground in Texas. And he's on something that's called no human contact. So the guards are not even really supposed to talk to him. He's been in uh, a solitary confinement for the last 17 years. One of my guys, they found him in Drew Hill Park, stabbed up in his own car on Valentine's Day. And, I, and it let me know that it was somebody who was a friend who did it my one of my guys he got gunned down and he was paralyzed from the neck down one of my friends you know he went through my god brother he ended up going through a hundred and seventy five thousand dollars of our money in one year because he started getting high and wow. there was so many different things that that ended up happening and then my my girlfriend my ride or die boo the pretty much the first girl that i had actually really really gave my heart to i would say she ended up getting diagnosed with cancer and she passed away at a very you know young age all of this happened in a short period of time and wow. then i had my tenant who i'm his son's godfather 
he got caught with a carload of guns to get himself out. He sent the ATF to my house and the alcohol, tobacco, and firearms task force. And they ended up actually raiding my house, almost shooting my pit bulls, my Rockwellers, two guys in my crew, and my nephew. And then they went to my like church. John Wick scene. Yeah, really. <laughs> Yeah. It was definitely like that, you know, and and then they went to my church going parents house and raided my room that I wasn't even staying in. That was, I think, the most difficult part. And so I ended up actually was looking at time for the one thing that I did not do. Mm. <laughs> when I felt that, you know, I'm just like, yeah, but if y'all knew about all of that other stuff, you know, yeah. I'm just like. I'm like, but I am literally fighting for my life in court. And the bad thing about it, I wouldn't call my parents. I didn't have anybody. And it wasn't that I, I wouldn't talk to them because I actually still came to church every Sunday. I wow. came to church every Sunday, no matter how much gangster dumb I was doing in the street Saturday night. Yeah. I would wake up and sometimes I would have them shades on because I was up at five in the morning. And I was trying not to fall asleep in church, but I had a level of respect for my parents. So all of these different things, you know, happened. And so I was looking at time for that. And, and it, But it was the best of times. It was the, the, the worst of times. It was like the tale of two cities because the, the only two people showed up to court for me. And that was one who was testifying against me, testifying against me. He was, he had to be there. He was working that day. And then I had my friend who, one guy showed up and he looked at me and I looked at him and I give him a head nod like, you know, what's up? Cause I'm still trying to be cool. He looks at me and then he looks at me in the eyes and then he looks down at the ground and then he goes in the back of the courtroom and I realized what was happening that he didn't even want anybody to know he knew Crazy Ted. And I, and, and I think that at that exact moment, something changed in me. Because when I looked at the one friend that's in court for me, who won't speak to me and won't come up. See, I thought it was going to be like on the TV where they'd be like, yo, I got you, man. If you get locked up, I got your conversation. I got money. He, he didn't want nobody to know he knew me. And, wow. the, and, I, and when I turned around to the person that is literally being on the stand to testify against me, they flipped you. They flipped you. The person who has been there for everything, who took care of your mother when you were locked up, the one who always held it down when you called me. You had a guy with van load of people with guns in front of your house, and I stopped what I was doing. I was on a date. And I came to, to come to this guy's rescue. And now I'm actually on the situation where he is actually looking at that, that situation. And, and he's on the stand testifying against me for something he knows I didn't do. Right. And so I realized at that exact moment that the worst thing that could ever happen to you is for you to fall in love with something that don't love you back. Right. And that was that was the, the moment. That was the moment. I, I was I was like Caesar who was fighting everybody when they were trying to kill him until he found out that his best friend was trying to kill him and he just stopped fighting. He just gave up. And at that moment, you know, I, I was done. And they put me from the morning docket to the afternoon docket. And, you know, I went out, I made one phone call. I called my brother. I said, if I don't come home tonight, just tell Ma it ain't her fault. And I ended up, I was almost like I was hit in the face because I, I felt like I was losing my vision. And I said, you got to get somewhere 
by yourself because when you hard, you can't show no signs of weakness. And right. so I, I'm, I really literally almost can't see. So now I'm my vision is blurry and I'm trying to feel on the doors and I finally got to the bathroom stall and I was checking to see which one in the fourth bathroom stall it was it was nobody in there because it was water on the floor and the reason it was water on the floor is because it was broken and you know and so i i looked in there and the, and the picture see when you are blind the only thing you have are memories and for some reason out of all of the cars and the jewelry and everything the one thing that that came to my mind is when i would stay summers with my grandmother in a place called macomb mississippi and she would have church in the middle of the week and we would get on this black couch the kind that had that real thick plastic on the kind that would give you a third degree burn if you sat on it in the sun in the wrong way and she would have us to have church and i would have to get on my knees and pray and i'll be i'll be like grandma i'm tired and she was like well baby you ain't ready yet and i realized i said now i'm wearing, wearing suede pants i got on a silk shirt i got on thousand dollars in my pocket i was like i know that i ain't supposed to get in this toilet water because toilet water and suede don't mix but i see what god was doing what he wanted me to do is acknowledge him yes and the same sewage i had been running with mm, okay he wanted me to do it in the same stuff that i had been worshiping like those beepers on my side and that phone and and all of that jewelry one thing that has always as Ted is talking, that comes right into my spirit is the life of Samson. And Jing Samson had a tumultuous life. He yeah. was a Nazarite from birth, called to sort of begin this transition with the Philistines to fight the Philistines. He's also a judge over Israel. But Ted's story for me intertwines in that. But also listening to this portion of your testimony is pretty profound. I, I instantly thought about Samson in the Bible and mm -hmm. how that sad portion that the glory left him and he didn't even know it. And, you know, the glory leaving you is sad enough, but the idea that you didn't know it. And I love what you're saying, these sort of gorgeous symbolic things that the Lord was sharing with you in regards to all the gook that was on top. And that huge question, when did you know that Christ was in your heart? Not just that we're physically showing up at church, but when did we know that we knew that we knew that we knew? And that's the difference. There's the difference that that's the sustainability and you having that, as they call it, the aha moment, right? Like it sounds like up until that moment, it was the person, the ax chipping away at the tree. And right. then it sounds like with this moment, it came a tumbling down. Which and is you, you were in that, that bathroom stall. I think God wanted to destroy all those things of the flesh, right? Yes. He wanted mm -hmm. to just destroy all that and have you come whole to him. I mean, that's what I kind of got from him putting you basically in, in a stall with all water, you know? Um, I, I try to tell people, <clears throat> I try to tell people, I, I hope it was just water. Because... <laughs> You know, and and I, I laugh about that, but to be honest with you, just like I said, that was probably some sewage and different things. And, and so for me, it didn't make sense. And so, because, you know, I'm, I'm like, yo, you, you know, what you're doing, you know, that don't make any sense. But what ended up happening is that I tell people, I didn't get down and call out God. I hollered, I hollered, meaning you could hear me down the hallway 
I scared people in the bathroom. They ran and got security. They said a man is having a fit. He's rolling around in toilet water and he's chanting. But I wasn't chanting. All I was saying was Jesus. And I was saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And that's all that's the only word that I could say. I couldn't. And what what and what I realized is, is that up until that moment, I had lived off of the prayers of my parents and my grandmother my entire life. Wow. So I grew up in the church. I have uncles that were bishops, uncles that were pastors, you know, evangelists and also were evangelists, everything. And I grew up in the church all my life and I didn't know how to pray. And it was it was such a sad situation because as I'm saying, Jesus, I was saying, you know, ask him. You have to say what you want specifically. And then I started talking and I said, yo, check this out, Jesus. And I tell people, don't trip off of how I was talking because I Amen. say our protocol, just know who to call. Right. And, and yeah. I was saying, check this out, Jesus. I said, I know you don't know me like that. And this this was my exact prayer. And I'm tripping because I'm talking to somebody that knows every raindrop that's in the ocean. He knows every ant's name. Yes. And I'm saying, I know you don't know me like that. And I said, but if you would give me a second chance. And I stopped and I said, you have done too much. You mm -hmm. have put up cars. You have kicked in doors. You have used duct tape for what it wasn't supposed to be. I was like, if you give me half of whatever I'm supposed to get, I put a salary cap on God because I didn't think that there was no way I was coming out of it. I right. said, give me half. I promise I will tell any bag lady, any person that I meet, I will tell my testimony to anyone will listen. Even if I go to jail, I'm supposed to start a ministry in jail. And I, and I was really, for this one time, I was genuine. Yeah. It was me praying. It wasn't me asking grandma to pray. My yeah. father and my mother, who I knew, knew how to pray. I felt like they knew God. I felt like they had a connection. I felt like my connection is I'm related to them. Mm -hmm. That was my connection. But today I had to have my own personal connection. And that's when everything changed for me because when, when the security guards ran in the bathroom, they said, is everything okay? And all I could say is straight. I'm straight. You know, and it's funny because I thought about that later, you know, how Saul and Paul, how, how he was knocked off that high horse, he was made blind, and then how a Christian had to go to Straight Street. And I, because and, and, that's the only words I can say. So I went back into the courtroom and my, my lawyer said that I should have taken a deal because I'm, I'm not going home. Actually, his exact words was, you should have brought your toothbrush because you're not going home. Mm -hmm. The state's attorney said this young man shouldn't be allowed to go back into the community. And I'll never forget when the judge had asked me to say something. And I said, I just stood up and I said, Your Honor, I said, my father's a pastor. My mother's an evangelist. And I actually grew up in the church all my life. And I don't know how I got here. And mm -hmm. I sat down and they sound crazy now when I think about it. But let me tell you this. They had offered me deals and stuff, and I turned it down because God had told me it was all or nothing. Mm. It was all or nothing. And so they offered me 15 years. And I know God, he, I know the judge, he held the paper up and he put his glasses up on the top of his forehead. And, and he said, you know, I know he was talking to God in that courtroom. And he was saying, I got to get this boy to 15 years. We offered him and God said, don't do it. He said, I got to give him the seven years. God said, let me handle him. You know what I'm saying? You know, I, he said, I got to give him the four years that we offered. You know what I'm saying? He was like, don't do it. And he said, I got to give him the 18 months we offered him. He said, that's my property. Let me handle him. They ended up dismissing all charges on me. Wow. 
all charges on me. I sat in the seat because it's funny because I had prepared myself to go to jail. I said, all right, now, when you get your time, don't cry because you ain't crying in the streets. Don't cry now. And I said, the, the bailiff is going to tap you on your shoulder. He's going to tell you, put your hands behind your back. You're going to walk over, get this paperwork. They're going to take you downstairs. Your van is going to pick you up. They're going to chain you to some other brothers and y'all going to go over the process. And that's what I had. I actually, I said, I don't want to go to the Eastern Shore. I don't want to go to Hagerstown. I was like, send me to Jessup. So I'm choosing the jail that I'm going. The judge had to tell me a second time. He said, Mr. Sutton, I said you can go. It was almost like I snapped out of it. Mm. He said, but I hope that I don't see you like this again. And I said, your honor, you will never see me like this again and and i actually ended up getting my bachelor's degree my master's degree my doctorate degree i started transitional housing for gang members i started an independent living program for young men aging out of foster care started the bullying curriculum you know an anti-gang intervention i wrote the book temporarily insane i actually wrote another one from pain to power i became a consultant for the show law and order special victims unit i partnered up with martin luther king's daughter doing some things around the country i actually started going around the country helping bloods in california crips in little rock arkansas vice lords gangster disciples in chicago junior black mafia in philadelphia the ninth boys in new orleans the 515 boys in london the johnsons the Bur in the UK, the Eastside Boys in Zimbabwe, the Americans in Johannesburg, South Africa, the Insane Vice Lords, Jackson, Mississippi, the Young Guns in Harrisburg, you know, uh, Pennsylvania, and I ended up receiving the National Dr. Martin Luther King Award, the wow. Harriet Tugman Award, and wow. so the just started going around country as far as with that, and and then I ended up actually running in a burning building and saving a family that was actually, the, while the house was on uh, was on fire and I pulled a little girl out that was on fire and I received the a citation for heroism at by Kurt Smoke, the mayor of Baltimore at the time, who was the same state's attorney that was coming after my crew when I was in the streets. Wow. Oh my and, gosh, look at that. I wanted him to tell us about your organization, Sutton House Incorporated, and Men Against Murder, Inc. T could you tell us a little bit about that before you continue? Because I want to know, and I want people to know about that. Maybe somebody might want to help you out with that organization. Well, and it's funny because my website is, is SuttonHouseVision.com. But, but I say that I ended up starting Sutton House because when I first started just kind of going to the church, I, I didn't know where I fit in. And I'm like, man, I, I, don't, I don't think it was meant for me to just kind of like just sit in the back of the church. And I was like, I really wasn't trying to be an usher like my brother did. And I was just like, and, but I see now where your gifts will make room. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. before I was an ordained elder, before I was a minister, before I was a junior deacon or, or any of that stuff, I just started going to rec centers and going to schools and okay. going to on the corner. And I, I realized I didn't need no license to tell somebody that God can change your life. And so yeah, I realized that I'm a testament of that God can turn a mess into a miracle and that okay. there's life beyond mistakes. And that was so just my real simple message. So I ended up starting Sutton House Incorporated, but underneath that umbrella, I ended up later starting People Can Change Move Youth Movement and also People Can Change Ministries. 
And one of the big components was also men against murder. And it's funny, it's not just men, but I yeah. felt men need to spearhead what we have allowed to, to get out of control with our youth and our children. And so, so people, we cannot be afraid of that young man that's on the corner or the one that's wearing those those gang colors because those are our nephews, those are our sons, those are our little cousins. And we have to embrace them and not focus on how we can just lock them up forever. Oh my goodness, you are you going to town. I love it, I love it. One thing, I love C.S. Lewis. I don't know how, I just love his writing. I love his books, Mere Christianity. And when I think about choices, 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 he pops into my mind. And one thing that he said in his book, Mere Christianity, that ties in with what you're saying, he says, with every choice we make, we're reshaping our hearts, right? With every choice, we're reshaping our heart into a heavenly creature or a hellish one. Prior to us starting this interview, you spoke about with every change, let's just say you're ashamed of something and you're going through an addiction, bulimia, mental illness. With your next choice, you can redo things. You can change things. So talk to us about that because, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit about that before we started this interview. And yeah. talk to us about choices and how people can change the trajectory of yeah. their lives now that their mind has been renewed in Christ. Talk to us. Yeah. Tell us about some of those steps you took. Yeah, well, what I realized is that, um, just like I said, with the right words at the right time, you could change the trajectory of what was going to happen. So I see that God had allowed me to survive the fire so that I could be an example that you can survive after fire, after being burned. You can, you can survive, you know, after that. And so I was actually put in a position that I've been there, done that, wrote the book, starred in the movie. So it's not a lot that you can say you can't make it back from. And so, so uh, that's how I wrote the book called uh, From Pain to Power. Because I tell people, when you look at me, what you actually see is struggle wrapped in strength. Amen. So, like what I've been through. So I don't look like, you know what I'm saying, you know, I, I had a shootout in front of my parents' house. I don't look like I had my house raided. I don't look like situation where, you know, a principal said I wouldn't make it to 21 or my uh, counselor who said I shouldn't attempt to go to college. Mm. And and actually one of the most significant places that I, I had actually spoke at and, and I had the Rolling Stone magazine interview and they said, well, I want to know what's the most. And I said, I would say parliament. I would say the White House. And, and I said, but to be honest with you, when I, I was the keynote speaker at my high school where my principal placed a bet, I wouldn't make it to 21. My counselor said I shouldn't attempt to go to college. And I ended up being the keynote speaker. And my message was, you're not trash. You're just tarnished. And, and to have that message looking at the same counselor that now I am working on a higher degree than what you had mm. I'm coming back with, with an accomplished book and everything and you sir I have surpassed you the same one who said that I could not do it who said I shouldn't attempt he used the words I shouldn't attempt to go to college because I don't enjoy writing wow. but I'm taking pre-calculus so I gotta be intelligent in some kind of way you yeah. know, and so uh, and my father was uh, had a degree in biochemistry. You know, my mother had a master's in education. So it was I couldn't run from my DNA if I wanted to. And right. so with that situation, you know, 
I realized that we had to use that pain and turn it into power. In fact, well, one key component to me speaking that day was there was a man named Congressman Elijah Cummins that they sat next to me to give an award to the class. And he just looked at me. He looked at the, the program and then he looked at me again. He said, young man, you have to tell me what you've been doing. And I said, yes, sir. I said, because the last time we were sitting next to each other, this was not the situation because he was actually my lawyer for assault and possession with a handgun. And now I am, he is sitting next to me. I'm the keynote speaker, speaking wow. for old high school. And I would think that that was the icing on the cake to be at the school with the principal. I have, I have proved you wrong. This counselor, I have proved you wrong. Yeah. God, God has proved them wrong. That's right. God was using me though. See, yes. he didn't, you know, saying, I'm so glad that man don't choose who God going to use. And, and I was that person who was chosen to do something that, sir, you couldn't do. And so it was it was so amazing to be able to share my story and to to let people know that there's life beyond mistakes. Yeah. I think it's really important to interject this in, you know, in regards to the Lord in Christ, that we are a new creation and second Corinthians five seventeen, And I want to read that. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. A lot of people, a lot of youth, a lot of adults think, oh, okay, I'm a new version of my, I, I'm, I'm a better version of myself. You're not a better version. You are a new creation in Christ. The old has gone and the new has come. And that's what you're seeing in Mr. Sutton today, right? Yeah. The old is gone. And, and now he's an heir to who? The kingdom of God, right? Yeah. Christ being the firstborn of many brethren, right? Yeah. So this is, I think it's just so important to see how that has changed. And for anyone viewing this to really see how that has been done, that the Lord is renewing the mind. The Lord is renewing the heart. That This is a new creation, a new man with new thoughts, new identity, clearly new resources and a new happy ending. We yeah. talk about Cinderella. We talk about fairy tale. Only yeah. God can give you that new happy ending. So I just, I needed to interject that because that's where this, this testimony has brought us. So yeah. even yeah. though there's struggles, because you had yeah. struggles, you had trials and tribulations, you had all that. And you had no idea at the same time what God was planning for you. That road Sometimes I don't think our road is supposed to be easy for us to get to the point where he wants us to be. Amen? Amen. <laughs> I mean, and it doesn't matter Wait. if you're a divorced wife, you know, or, or, you know, separated husband. You got to that point because God wanted to show you something, right? And the road to trans, the road through transformation or the road of transformation has to go through the road of ruin. You have to be broken. You yeah. have to be, right? I think Peter knew who he really became because he had to deny Christ. Right. Which right. the Lord said, I already know this is going to happen, but I'm praying for you. And the yep. Lord is doing the same thing with us. That as the Bible says, within your hour, your hour of need, which which Mr. Sutton has spoken about, that hour that he fell out on the floor. Only thing he could say was Jesus. Mm -hmm. It yep. is Jesus's name that opens the door, not yep. mine and not yours. Right. But that's the beauty of it. It's it's surrendering and saying, you know what? The Bible says everything has to be brought to his feet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. then gives it over to the Father. So right. this this is that beautiful thing of transformation takes that. 
and it will go through the, the road of ruin because you have to know as the scripture says lean not on your own understanding Amen. and if you acknowledge him in all that he does everything that you do what you have no choice but your road to go straight no choice right. because you're acknowledging him you're putting him in matter, the it doesn't matter if you're 15 doesn't matter if you're 20 you know that's right when he puts you on that road you might not realize it at first but at the end you definitely will and I know people, they, they've been through some stuff and it wasn't until they were 35 years old that they got all these trials and tribulations. But that's when God felt, I guess, it was time for them to see the way. When I'm you have young children that too. I'm, I'm a believer that the many things that we go through, it's the Lord revealing us to us. He already knows who we are. Right? Right? Yeah, yeah definitely. So I guess for that, we didn't see. So right. I guess that whole thing, we were blind before we can see and, and you know, yeah, before we could hear. So yeah. we, we open our eyes to what he's planning for us and what he has for us. What part was it in that courtroom, in that bathroom that you realized that, that what God had for you? Well, that was the moment that I was broken. But I say when you're broken, God has more pieces to work with. And I think that that is when I ended up going into the trying to be, you know, a good person now. So, so uh, first thing I'm like, well, I'm not going to carry a gun. And that was like a major thing. And it's funny how steps I see it's levels to this thing. Like I didn't, I'm not going to tell a person that I got saved in that bathroom stall and I came out and I just started preaching and I started paying my tithes. And I'm like, no, I was still a work in progress. And right. so when, when, when I went through that, I didn't know where I actually fit in. And then what I realized is, is that, that really, I, it wasn't a mistake. The, the things that I wasn't, because I never felt, let's say, empowered like that. I always, I didn't think that I was the good looking one. My brother was the good looking one. He's the handsome one. And everybody loves my younger brother. I just knew that I was rough. I knew that I was hardcore and that's something that I could do. And so, so when I did, start working you know handling hanging with some of the people in the streets it was almost like it was something about good girls like bad boys and so now it was almost like i'm handsome now and so when i came out of the streets i didn't even know what being a civilian was so as i started to do this i started to gradually get empowered that like yo you you have influence and i see that when people would see me i call it shock therapy because first they would be shocked then we can start with the therapy because they would be like, nah, yo, not crazy. Ted, yo, you got to be tripping. Nah, yeah. you telling me that he is, he going to church, yo? Yeah. I mean, and I loved it. I loved it. I loved that shock and awe moment so that you can see what God can do. You know what I'm saying? You can see how God can turn a mess into a miracle. And that ended up being something that I had to really step into because initially I wasn't eager to do it. I thought I was just going to sit in the back of the church. And, and I was like, man, I don't even know where I fit in. I don't know what. And then I saw that your gifts will make room. So there was no room. God ended up making room. God made some people slide over on the bench and be like, he's got to sit down because he's got a yeah. special mission that he's got to do. So to me, it was about choices because I think that we all have choices that we have to make. And that's the part that we play in. 
Well, you know, God is not going to make you a robot and make you worship him. He's not going to make you give your life to Christ. He doesn't kick the door in. You have to unlock it. You have to let him in. And that's what I saw you know, was major. And that's the part that actually I had to play, you know, with actually making that choice. And then I saw myself that since now I see when, this, when I was in the streets, I had the wrong ammunition. Now I see I have the real weapon. Now that I see that, you know, I feel like a superhero when you when you look me up and you see that I have stopped muggers from mugging people and stopped a carjacker from carjacking people. I've taken homeless people into my home. I've, I've worked with gang members. I've ran in a burning building, pulled a girl out who was on fire, caught the baby from the third floor, gave her mouth to mouth. To me, you have to you have to be, you know, a superhero. And you got to, and to me, you know what I tell people, like when the Rolling Stone magazine asked me, they said, well, when did you stop being crazy, Ted? I said, I never stopped being crazy, Ted. I said, God changed my foundational belief system. So now I know what's worth dying for now. And now you're crazy for God. There's, yeah. there's the point, right? Yeah. You could be a risk taker, but now you're a risk taker for God. There's yeah. the difference. And I like to messenger. You became a messenger now. You're, right, you're spreading right. the word and what God could do for people in their lives. Ted, I really appreciate you coming on the show, running out of time. Man, your story, it's just breathtaking. And I hope that anyone who's listening can let their children see this, listen to this, because if you're not a miracle, I don't know what is. I mean... Yes. God put you on a road that was very, very dangerous. There's a possibility that you might not have been here right now. Oh, yeah. So you were definitely used by God, for sure. Thank you for everything you've done. God bless you, Ted. God Thank bless you for you. all your work. But if I can, I just wanted to say this one thing. Go for it. First, I was born in sin. Now I'm born again. No weapon formed against me can begin to win. There are no rules to break and the rules to bend. Just have faith like Daniel and the lion's den. And it doesn't even matter if you're deep in sin. Your life can be spared and won't have to end. But you can't be swayed by getting paid and laid and start handling your business. Stop being afraid because you have to make a stand for what's righteous. Because as they unlike this, because you know the words, you can't fight this. But you might like this, but even in spite this, this is not entertainment because God helped me write this. So maybe I might just hype this. Wow, that was a great show. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Well, this is The Wow Show, and I'm your host, China Myers. Thank you for being here. And I want to say thank you. I was lost and you found me. I was dead inside and you breathed into me. And you brought these bones alive. I want to say thank you, thank you for saving me, thank you for loving me unconditionally, God, you stood with open arms.